Hello to our listeners. Welcome to the Women Governance Trailblazers podcast, where we listen to the journeys of trailblazing women in the corporate governance field, their passions, struggles, and commitment to improving how companies and boards function. My name is Liz Dunchy, and my co-host is Courtney Camlet. Hi, everyone. Courtney and I are both passionate about corporate governance, and we want to spotlight some of the amazing women who share that passion. We're connecting with guests from different paths and industries to hear their perspectives on what surprised them in their career and where they think the field of corporate governance is going. For this episode, we're excited to be talking with Rhonda Brower. Rhonda is an ESG strategist who currently runs her own consulting firm, RLB Governance. Among other roles, Rhonda previously had a long tenure as corporate secretary for the New York Times, worked at Georgeson to ramp up what is today a very strong corporate governance advice business there, and served as a senior fellow for the conference board. On the investor side, Rhonda spent time as the director of corporate engagement for the New York City Comptroller, and more recently also worked on the climate lobbying initiative for the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility over the past couple of years. Welcome, Rhonda. Thanks, Liz and Courtney, for having me. It's an honor to be included in this podcast series with so many other women who I admire. Thank you. Thank you, and we're excited to have you here. Rhonda, could you tell us about your path to founding RLB Governance and the interesting work that you've done along the way as a corporate secretary, shareholder advocate, and ESG thought leader? Sure. It's been a very exciting and somewhat unconventional path. I think that the common themes are my wanting to be of service to my communities and my love for meeting new people. I started my legal career by moving from Indiana, where I grew up and went to law school, to work at Cleary Gottlieb, an international law firm in New York City. I thought that I wanted an international legal career because I had lived and traveled in Europe in my teens and studied American foreign policy in college. Even before I started at Cleary, I spent part of my post-bar exam vacation back in Europe, including 10 days at Auschwitz, where I literally worked on the grounds with young Germans, not letting the grass grow over, as the German expression goes. Hmm. Cleary provided both the opportunity to work and live abroad, which I did in Brussels, and to do a lot of pro bono work, particularly in the area of human rights, which has always been important to me. When I returned from Brussels, I decided that I wanted to work in-house. I also decided that I didn't need to be an international lawyer. I loved living and working abroad where I made lifelong friends, but I also realized that it really came down to the people with whom I was working. And my favorite Cleary client ended up being a utility company from Northwest Arkansas, which I could have never predicted. <laughs> when the opportunity arose to worked as a corporate lawyer at the New York Times company, I jumped at it. Although the Times is a for-profit company, it filled my need to be of service to my community by working for the fourth estate. I also loved doing the legal work for the New York Times Company Foundation and the Neediest Cases Fund. About halfway into my Times career, corporate governance took off and really made my career what it is today. I had always done some corporate secretarial work Sarbanes-Oxley and the thoughtful change in family generational leadership at the company 
combine to give me a unique perch to view and impact these changes. And notwithstanding the dual-class stock structure, I was increasingly engaging our public shareholders. After working on 15 annual meetings, I decided that I wanted to more broadly help companies and investors engage, which I saw as a benefit to our society and world. Again, a great opportunity arose when I joined the proxy solicitation firm Georgeson to lead their shareholder engagement corporate governance practice for their clients. The timing also coincided with the retirement of my Times mentor, Saul Watson, who had a great impact on my ability to advise clients and to try to mentor others. I have long said that if I spent the rest of my life mentoring others, I'm not sure I could ever give forward what Saul gave to me, and I know many of my Times colleagues. He was and is so inspirational. I spent the next eight years helping companies tell their business and ESG stories to their investors. I loved working with both sides, and I eventually decided that I wanted to try something new. At that point, I founded RLB Governance, where I began consulting on my own for multiple constituencies. Since that time, I've taken two breaks from RLB Governance when opportunities arose to work directly for investors. First, I worked for the New York City Pension Funds, where, among other things, I spearheaded a board diversity project, also known as the Boardroom Accountability Project 2.0. About one-third of the companies that we engaged in that project were fossil fuel companies, so I began to understand what it meant to have a climate-competent board. And meshing my corporate governance and executive experience with work on these issues for an investor was so much fun. My second opportunity came this past proxy season when I helped to launch and manage the climate lobbying initiative for the Interfaith Center on Corporate Responsibility, which is a nonprofit for faith and value-based investors. That was also a lot of fun as I was again able to use my governance and executive experience to help to effectively engage companies on this relatively new issue. We had great success in ICCR's first year in this space, where members achieved the highest climate lobbying proposal majority vote to date, the 76.4% vote in Norfolk Southern. We also negotiated the withdrawal of similar proposals at five companies that agreed to provide the types of climate lobbying disclosures requested in the proposal. In May, I returned to RLB governance, I think for good this time. Yeah, that climate lobbying, congratulations on that initiative. That's been a big trend. Those are very unusual results for something that's such a new proposal. So congrats on your hard work on that. Thank you. It was exciting. What a fascinating career path you've had. Uh, our next question is actually whether there's been anything that has surprised you as you've progressed in your career, but I'm guessing the answer to that is yes. Uh, so uh, maybe if you can tell us about some of the biggest surprises that you've encountered over the course of all of these different roles. Uh, yes, um, and there are so many possible answers. Uh, I was somewhat surprised and even more pleased by how transformational the 2021 proxy season was for ESG issues, 
culminating in the May 26th votes at the ExxonMobil annual shareholders meeting. Three directors put forward by activist investor engine number one were elected and two shareholder proposals passed. So what changed this season? I believe there was a confluence of events starting with the pandemic, as well as things like forest fires, social unrest, and ultimately President Biden's election. This definitely brought many ESG issues into stronger focus for investors and companies, including climate change, income inequality, and board oversight of ESG issues. Added to that was the increasing pressure put on the world's largest asset managers to show that they really believe climate change has a significant impact on their and their clients' investments. This was the year that they supported proposals that they didn't as recently as last year. In addition, many gave in to pressure to disclose how they voted at or close to the time that they voted on many important votes. Wow, that's really interesting. You have done a lot. And you talked earlier about your love of people and the significant impact of your former mentor, Sal, at the New York Times. You've been devoting extra energy to mentorship these past couple of years on both the company side and the investor side. Tell us about what that's looked like, what you like most about it, and what type of skills and knowledge you're imparting to the next generation. Sure. This has been especially fun and rewarding. Having worked primarily in places with flat organizational structures, I have always been happy to find ways to work collegially with my peers and to mentor those interested in mentoring, which has usually gone both ways in our learning from each other. Opportunities arose not only directly in workplaces, but also from the wonderful professional organizations with which I have been affiliated over my career, including the Society for Corporate Governance and the Council of Institutional Investors. I was very fortunate to have a new type of mentoring opportunity this past year. I was able to launch the ICCR Student Fellows Program last December. We needed a lot of research to support effective corporate engagements on climate lobbying, and I was fortunate to find passionate students to help out. Over the course of the winter and spring semesters, I worked with 12 students from across the country, ranging from undergraduates, usually majoring in environmental policy or science, to law and MBA students. Usually we had a cohort of at least six students at any given time. So what did that look like? It looked like weekly Wednesday night hour-long Zoom calls, which began with icebreaker questions. None of us had ever met each other before or actually since then. My North Star was that if I could have fun with them, then hopefully we would all have fun with the work and experience, even in the first full winter of the pandemic. Most students were taking classes either hybrid or fully remotely from their dorm rooms or campus apartments, which generally looked a bit dark on Zoom, and we were all waiting to get our COVID vaccines. Over the course of our time together, the icebreakers sometimes involved into video off, gentle yoga and breathing exercises that I led, or a few minutes of just dancing it out. Substantively, I created a climate lobbying research template. 
which I tried to make accessible to every student by providing detailed guidance on where to find the needed research and how to present it in our research brief. We used our weekly hour together to talk about what we had each learned over the prior week and the challenges that we had faced. I shared any updates that I could provide about engagement and what to expect in the coming weeks, including the possibility that one or more of our climate lobbying proposals would go to a vote, which then happened at Norfolk Southern, and what type of opportunity that could present. We ended with figuring out what each student could work on in the coming week. I would usually touch base with a few students between our weekly calls with questions that they had or with rushed research needs that had come up. Now, what did I like the most about this unique experience? I loved the pandemic community that we created and getting to know the students and their specific passions in and out of school. They increasingly asked wonderful questions and often brought knowledge from which I and our research brief could also benefit. I loved their curiosity about the initiative, how and why companies and institutional investors thought about the issues, and why I had made my own career choices. They definitely give me hope for the next generation who will be tackling these issues. I'm thrilled to still be in touch with many of them, and I can't wait to hear what they will do in their careers. Hmm. I was going to ask if any of them were considering corporate secretary roles in their future. Not just yet, but <laughs> they may under, they may begin to understand what that means. Uh-huh. Cool. Your mentorship game is incredibly strong. I feel like we can learn a lot from you by just the way you interact with the, the research group as well. And I'd like to think that I imparted my passion for the work as well as my professionalism and my openness to new ideas and people and my increasing focus on self-care as the pandemic continued on and on. Yeah. While I don't see myself teaching in a formal setting, I have been able to use much of what I learned from this experience in the consulting work that I'm now doing through RLB Governance, and I hope that I will continue to have mentoring opportunities going forward in whatever form that may take. Hmm. Wow. What a unique opportunity for all of you to be able to make those connections, especially um, being so geographically dispersed and and during the pandemic when a lot of us were lacking connection. That's very cool. It was cool. Are there, for for lack of a more professional term, I guess, Um, so Rhonda, are there any ESG sleeper issues that you think companies should be paying more attention to? I'd like to think that companies and their boards should be thinking about two issues. First, ESG issues should not be siloed as nice window dressing into CSR reports, touching only a few corporate departments. Rather, they should be increasingly integrated thoughtfully into company strategy, including the related risks and opportunities that companies will face over the long term. Second, I think we need a better understanding of what it means to have climate-competent or sustainability-competent boards. I think these concepts need to be expansively defined to include not only climate and sustainability expertise, but also experience 
experience and expertise in such areas as strategy, business transformation, risk management, M&A, legal and compliance, industry, marketing, and governance. All of these competencies are important so that, that the directors around the boardroom table have the experience and expertise to engage thoughtfully and to make the connections between their individual experience and expertise and climate and sustainability to support the long-term strategy and sustainability of their companies. I think that both of these points should be addressed in board and committee self-evaluations so that each company board considers whether it is climate and sustainability competent. If the board concludes that it is not, it should be thinking about board searches and education that will move it toward such competency. Similarly, boards and companies should be able to set forth the case for such competency in their proxy statements and other public disclosures as they use board matrices and bios to tie these issues together in a story that makes sense for their respective companies. I think that's great advice and two really important board-related issues. Um, and, and in terms of the sustainability competence boards, it's digging a layer deeper than just your average assessment. I think that's a great point. Thanks. So what do you think women in the corporate governance field can add to the current conversation on the societal role of companies? I think that our voices are important in what we say, how we say it, and as we lead by example. I didn't really have any female role models or heroes growing up in Indiana. When I went away to college, I became much more aware of the women who had come before me and my friends and on whose shoulders we were lucky enough to stand. I've often been one of the few women in the room. I think that finding my own voice as I gained confidence in what I had to say has been very important. And I feel that it was increasingly important to use my own voice in the opportunities that I had and still have. In my own way, I think this has added to the current conversation on the societal role of companies and hopefully more equality in our companies and society. I hope that this is something that I can leave to the world for my daughter and my son, who have sometimes had a front row seat in observing how I've tried to do this. Wow. Well, from my perspective, you have done a great job with finding your voice and and using it. And um, so you are making a difference. And we appreciate you sharing your story with us today. Um, So thank you again for being here, Rhonda. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thank you as well to all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of Women Governance Trailblazers. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use for podcasts, and we would love if you would rate us while you're there.